0: Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly.
4: What's up, y'all? I'm JJ McCorvey, a journalist who writes about business and blackness.
1: And I'm Shayna Watson, a fashion industry professional and writer with my eye on the social and cultural impact of trends and style. And And this this is Yo Business.
4: Did anybody see ya? Coming to my house last oh. night. But well, I got your message on my beeper.
1: Yeah, I just
4: wanted to everything I like. But All right.
1: I don't know the song, but I know. <laughs> I knew what was coming next, so I must know it, kinda.
4: Yes, I keep going. I've been the a- same with you and your girlfriend. Yeah, the fact that she don't know. She it don't know. really it turns, turns me on. on. She knows this yeah. is a million. No, still that not. We
1: got this thing going on. <laughs> so you
4: know the lyrics, I know the
1: lyrics and the, and the song, and but the I cannot song. tell you it's who escape. sings
4: Escape. Oh, but it, You're doesn't it matter? My
1: little yeah. secret. doesn't it matter that I know I know the song? I just like don't know the guest. I mean, the, know the artist or the title.
4: I'll give it to you. Okay, uh, but I I, knew I, the I was word. surprised that yeah. you that you got it so quickly. I, so. That
1: beeper line, yes, I was in there.
4: My little secret, Escape, a escape. true jam. Escape. What's the deal with them now? There's three of them. Sometimes Candy joins them. Sometimes.
1: Yeah, but I think Candy was just like too big. She's like, I'm just too big now. I can't deal with like the mess. Mm -hmm. But didn't they go on tour under a different name though? After Candy, like I thought that they did the thing with Candy,
4: and then they turned the E at the end of Escape into like three. three. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which is just like, how do you pronounce? that.
4: Escap three. Escap three. Escap three.
1: Yeah, poor girls. But I mean, I think they're still pushing on.
4: Good. Yeah, they're very much a part of my legacy. Well, not my legacy, but uh black music legacy. Right.
1: For sure. For sure. <laughs> hey y'all. Hi hi hi. So this is our last episode of season one. It's Yay. been an awesome. Season, yes, it's been awesome. It's
4: been more than I could have ever expected. A
1: hundred percent. We got and great
4: guests. Yes. Great episodes. Yes. We became closer. Yes. We learned a lot about each other. We did. <laughs> working with each other. We
1: did. Like friendship and working friendship together and
4: a balance. Yes. Yes. Um. And now we're gonna regroup.
1: Yes. And we're gonna work. I mean, it's it's a break, quote unquote. But I feel like we already like. Awesome, we have guests for season two. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. And
4: we're gonna think of what season two will look like. Mm-hmm. And we're emailing and texting with people. And I'm like, it's all happening. Yes. So yes. make sure you come back on August 14th.
1: August 14th. We will be back. <laughs> return. <laughs> yes. Return up the Mac. Oh, yes, again. Untap <laughs> <I'm laughs> the world. Yeah. Oh, my
4: God. Oh. Yeah. Are you
1: are we ready for your <laughs> <laughs> are we ready for your business?
4: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay, so I think we're gonna start on a high note today, which we literally never yeah, do, yeah, 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 yeah. and we want to talk about some black excellence. Yeah. So, what are our faves doing this week?
4: So, my first one is Tracy Ellis Ross. Love. Her. So, me too. She is producing a Daria spinoff. Um, mm, Jody, Jody from Daria. Jody First was of such all, an
1: important character. She was
4: amazing, but of course, she was like relegated to these kind of, of one one but liner I did love throwaways. That she had a black
1: boyfriend.
4: Yes. yes, and she was very like she was not stereotypically black. She no. was like
1: she was like a she was like the valedictorian.
4: Kind of. Yeah, and, but also had attitude. Yeah, she, I, I loved it. She was good. Um, but also this Daria is like a very important part of my like adolescence. Like I. Absolutely love Daria. How old
1: were we when that came out? I feel like I wasn't allowed to watch it.
4: You probably were. No, Um, we
1: had a lot of rules in the (laughs)
4: house. Um, I think it was like uh, the late, definitely like late 90s, like mid to late 90s, so like 97, 98. Okay, um, so we would have been like sixth grade. Oh, yeah, for sure, not
1: watching it. I I think I watched it in college though, like I've got Mm -hmm. I caught. The reruns yeah. or whatever.
4: Actually, I would definitely love Daria on like DVD or something, but yeah, or like streaming right in 2019. Um, so yeah, so, so. Tracy Ellis Ross is producing the spinoff, and she is uh, the voice of Jody. Oh,
1: that's um, cool,
4: and I love it. So it says Jody will follow. Uh, so it was going to be called Jody, um, and it says Jody will follow uh, Jody Landon, who's the character's name. She's a fan favorite of the original series as she enters the workplace after graduating from college. So I think this is this is going to be like really cool, like you know, like
1: fast forward, fast forward, yeah. black
4: millennial, like. Young black woman, like trying to make it after college and like kicking ass. That's
1: exciting. Um, yeah. And it's on MTV still?
4: It's, uh, it says MTV is bringing back. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. Um, and, and good for Tracy. Yeah, for sure. And I'm pretty sure it'll be like, you know, because every company has, uh, streaming something these days. Like, I'm sure it'll be like a, some kind of streaming, um, Component to it, yeah. um, Just because every new show is um, uh, takes advantage of that today, Um, but yeah. So I'm really excited about that. And then um, (laughs) Issa Rae, uh, she won the Emerging Entrepreneur Award at the Women in Film uh, Annual Gala. Um, You say gala? Yeah. You say gala? Gala. I like gala. Okay. I mean it's probably both. yeah. i, don't, I <laughs> don't know if it's
1: like bass and bars, but
4: yeah um yeah and i like her speech it was hilarious let's try to play some of it as
1: women we, we tend to downplay ourselves we tend to dim our light um and we're kind of conditioned socially to to be humble i grew up in Dejreba. i grew up Being a huge hip-hop fan, and none of my favorite artists are humble. They don't even know what that means. So in writing my speech, I decided to embrace this
2: moment in honor of them. Emerging Entrepreneur Award. Duh, bitches. (laughs) I'm the first, so
1: you future hoes need to bow down unless you're ready to catch my fade with your weak ass. and all doors behind me, so if you didn't make it in... <laughs> Ooh, okay. Oops, you're bad. Figure it
4: out. Absolutely, obviously, she's being funny. Right. But I thought that was so hilarious.
1: <laughs> I mean, bitches and hoes at a women in film is a tough a tough satire to pull but I do, I like the whole concept of yeah. like, why do I need to get up here and act like I don't deserve this?
4: Which I thought all oh, this was hilarious, but the, the irony of all that is that that is actually how some people are when they make it.
1: Oh, 100%. Um,
4: so I think, you know, that satire was very fitting.
1: Yeah, that's funny.
4: Um, And then so, so yeah, congrats to Issa. And yeah. then um, Doctor Patrice Harris uh became the first black woman sworn in as the president of the American Medical Association, which is okay, one this organization has been around almost so two hundred years. That's
1: why sometimes with these things I'm like, what? <laughs>
4: um, but you know, I I'm still kind of relishing in the um the success of it. Like First of all, she said, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams uh, in a press release. No, sorry, that wasn't a press release. That was um, a, her inauguration speech. She said, I dream my ancestors' parents, my extended family and my friends' supported before it even entered my imagination. Um, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. And I just thought that was this was, you know, obviously really cool, but also very timely and fitting given, you know, you know, recent reports about you know black women's health and how like maternal uh, mortality rates among um,
1: black, mothers. black
4: mothers is at an all-time high in 2019 where we're supposed to you know have come so far with healthcare. so I think that you know having a black woman at this perch might you know influence that like maybe she can direct you know research or resources to these issues
1: yeah that's awesome yeah um, and then I had one, a fashion one. So we talked a while ago about Baby Fat coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is now solely owned by Kamora Lee. I actually don't know her new last name, but uh, by Kamora Lee. It's
4: Leisner. Kamora Lee.
1: Who is? Okay. Yeah. Kamora Lee Leisner, <laughs> um, who is an Afro Asian. She was married to Russell Simmons, but she was a model way before that. Um And so now it's officially back, and they announced this week their collaboration with Forever 21. So I have mixed feelings. While I'm excited for this, like, black woman-owned brand to be back,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that collab partner, I can't even spend enough time listing the problems with Forever 21. Awful for the environment. And then... Also, Forever 21 in general has just been trash with stealing independent designers' work and mass producing it. And so I just like, you know, it's kind of that thing where can we ever be happy? Like, while I'm excited for her to be owning the brand and the brand to be back, I yeah. do wish that she could have um, chosen a different partner right. to roll out the collaboration with. Because while Forever 21 does have the reach... They do not have the community empowerment that I would think she would want. Or even the woman empowerment, right? Like, Forever 21 came under fire for, like, super thin models and, like, Photoshopping their plus size. And just, I just would wish that it would have been someone else. but
4: Yeah, and maybe, like, this is, you know, maybe she had to kind of go for a low hanging fruit, you know? Like, she was... No, this brand was dead for however many years and, you know, maybe Forever 21 was like, we'll work with you. Maybe. You know, and she's going to work her way up to I, more sustainable partners.
1: I hope. Because even the collab she did with them, I hope that she just was like, okay, yeah, sure. Because it's just like all biker shorts and crop tops, like no <laughs> velour track suits. It's like... Fat baby fat. That's what we want. Like we yeah. want track suits with baby fat written across our butts. Like so, I'm hoping that this is just like such a pre-launch that yeah. she's just like, here. You can have a couple shorts with the logo on it. Like I'm gonna keep my real thing for something else.
4: Yeah. Wow. van Furstenberg sued them. Yikes.
1: Everybody has Forever Twenty One <laughs> has stolen everything that they can wow. get their hands on and produced it for cheap, at the detriment of people who are producing the product right. and sold it for cheap. Like fast fashion is such a um, an assembly line of oppression right. <laughs> from like the where you source the materials to who is making it to how you ship it here. That's the only way it can be so cheap. And they are a volume business. So all they care about is how much they sell, not the quality. And so I just like wished for something different. But yeah, we'll see. Hopefully Baby Fat is like on its way to being a big brand back back to being a big brand on its own where she doesn't need
4: yeah because it is like it is a really stark juxtaposition going from i mean a baby fat was on runways right you know so then like
2: yeah so maybe this is the
1: start but i do (laughs) hope she's able to like not have this start make that be what baby fat is right you know um so yeah I think that was a good positive start. Before we talk about this very tough next thing, but I think it's important for us to give voice to what's happening in Sudan. Um, so, if you've been literally anywhere on social media this week, you've seen about the just the awful massacre and total terror um, of the people living in Sudan now, and I think. There's a lot of information going around, so I wanted to be sure that we could kind of give the top three, this is what's happening, and then point us towards uh, what we can be doing to help. So as far as like what's happening, a crash course in it is that Omar Bashir, who was the the director who was the dictator who ruled Sudan for over 30 years, finally stepped down in April. It was decided that Sudan would have a transitional government for two years, led by the Transitional Military Council until a new leader is elected. Ever since then, there's been a two-month-long, massive, peaceful sit-in for the demand for civilian rule. So that is what got us here. Just recently, Rapid Support Forces, known as RSF Militia, violently attacked and started to shoot the demonstrators during Ramadan. Mm. And so that is the kickoff to what we're seeing now, where hundreds of people have been killed. I think the number of injured is almost to a 1,000. Corpses were being found in the Nile River. Uh, Massive widespread rape has been reported. And when you think about that, it's like those are just the reported ones. And so it's just been constant terror. Yeah. And I think – You know, I've seen media talk about it. I think we're always quick to say, like, why doesn't the U.S. care about these things? I've seen a lot of people talk about it, but Mm -hmm. I think there is always this difficulty of, like, how we help.
4: Yeah. I've Um, seen, like, people online talking about it and, like, changing their profile pictures to blue. blue.
1: Yeah, just to, like, raise the awareness. Um, And so I feel like the small things that we can do to help. um, So Fast Company published I think a really good comprehensive list of how seven things that you can help. Um, so one of them was to call your member of Congress to also just like let them know that their constituents this is important to their constituents right. uh use resist bot and we'll put the link to this What's article resist bot uh, you can text um this certain number and then it will, automatically send information either like to congress or whoever is connected and i think it's cool to have those things in place because like not everybody is going to pick up the phone like anxiety is a real thing and
4: download that now
1: um and you can give to unicef you can donate to save the children there's a facebook campaign for this there's a change.org petition and there's gofundmes Um, going around to support at least like the medical aid and support of those affected. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll put the link down there. But I think it's just like at this point, there's a lot of need for us to talk about it and for us to be as outraged about this as we are about them killing black people in the streets here. Right. These are black people. And um, it's... We, when when we say Black Lives Matter, it can't just be Black U.S. lives. Yeah. Like, right? yeah. we need to still care. So, yeah, I just pray for... It doesn't seem like Sudan can ever get peace, which is so sad.
4: Yeah. It makes you really think about how... I mean, even under this current administration, with all the chaos that we see, and, like, the constant assault on marginalized communities, it makes you grateful that we are, you know... Where we are, mm-hmm. you know, still because um, we could be, you know, facing an armed militia. Yeah. In the
2: streets.
1: But to me, it also, you know, I can I can dark side any bright side. It also makes me remember that we are not far. Yeah. Right. Like, do not sleep. Do not think The people in Sudan, I'm sure, didn't think it could get this bad. Right. And so I want us to always remember that we we haven't had a coup yet, but we are nowhere. There's nothing to stop that from happening. Like, so we have to be very aware. That's true. Uh, so yeah. Speaking of, I feel like that's a good. What's the politic yeah. nonsense this week?
4: Yeah, I guess I just want to start quickly and do like a uh, a jig at my desk um, in <laughs> celebration of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Huckabee. <laughs> being announced as on her way out as uh White House uh press secretary. Um she was there for three and a half years. Um and at the end of the month she will be why'd
1: they put her out?
4: Um I am not sure. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's there's a very much a revolving door um with this administration. I think there's been like Four or five press secretaries at this point. So yeah, this is like the latest in a long line of folks. So that was Sean Spicer. Spicer, yeah. Um, and then um, Yeah, he
1: was like always <laughs> sweating and nervous,
4: always sweating and yeah. belligerent, and like just <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was not. Good. I feel like he was probably so happy to be fired. He's like, I can't do this anymore. Like,
4: right? I and now lie. he's like, you know, teaching at Harvard or something. So weird. Um, And then there was Anthony Scaramucci who lasted all for like two days. Yep, I remember
2: that. And then
4: it was Sarah. And now the race is on to figure out who will replace her.
1: Yeah, Soledad O'Brien. So, like, I guess um, Suckabee had tweeted, like, I hope I'm remembered as, like, a person who was honest and forthright. You lied all And, right, and Soledad was like, no, you will not be remembered for that. <laughs> you will be remembered. You are a liar. And you brought danger to this country through your lies. So, no. You
4: said <laughs> like, that? You brought danger so, to yeah. this country?
1: Soledad is, I really enjoy just how she, much she's like, uh, no.
4: Yeah. This second career of hers is as, like, a, a, a clapbacker uh-huh. uh, on Twitter is really interesting to me. It is um like
1: it's time for us to speak up like we can't keep being quiet to like keep our jobs or being you know what i mean and i feel like that's what i appreciate about her and like for all his issues i appreciate that about don lemon now who's just kind of like yeah i'm working here but also like what are you doing yeah oh this is what she said um she's a disgrace and a shameful shameful human being and a liar who was also bad at her job let's all remember
2: that
4: all right, so right? She's just like read enough. her down. Yeah,
1: enough.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, it's I don't want to come off too much like I'm celebrating somebody's somebody not having
5: a job, but she like
4: lied consistently
5: yeah. from that podium. It's
1: not and about a job. It would yeah. be, To me, it would be the same if a doctor got fired who kept, like,
2: doing Boxing mouth... Stuff. Right. It's yeah. like,
1: yeah, you're not good at your job and you're putting people in danger. You yeah. need to go.
2: Step down.
1: Right. We can't all work all the
6: jobs. Right.
1: <laughs> like, when like, I've said this... We can't all work we can't, all, but all like, the if jobs. I don't know how to swim, so I should not be a lifeguard, right? That's just, like, a job that I am not equipped to do. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's how I feel about this is, like, I mean they wanted you to lie and you did, but like is enough is enough.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: oh and that went on for a date. Like her disrespect to the media, her chronic lies, and her failure to do the job she was hired to do and paid to do with taxpayers' funds. Ooh. Get out of here, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> I love it.
4: Read Soledad. Yes,
1: she really did. She had she's like, I have time today. Um what
4: else? So continuing in our politics segment, um, Liz Warren wants to give seven billion dollars in grants to minority entrepreneurs. Hmm. Um she
1: Billion. Billion.
4: Wow. She wrote um an an op ed piece for black enterprise. Um she says, um Uh, the government helped create a wealth gap with decades of sanctioned discrimination, tilting the playing field against black and brown communities for generations. As a result, black Latinx, and native American households have a lot less wealth than white households. That means less money for entrepreneurs of color to put into their businesses to get them going. On average, black entrepreneurs start a business with $35,000 in capital. That's a third of the startup capital of the typical white entrepreneur. Um, so yeah, so now she's she says that um, if she's elected, she will help close this uh, gap in capital for black and brown entrepreneurs with something called the Small Business Equity Fund run by a new department that she will set up the department of economic development i love that um the fund will be equipped with 7 billion dollars uh, to provide grants not loans she specifies um to entrepreneurs that's important mm-hmm, for for to entrepreneurs for startup capital so their businesses can thrive from the beginning without having to worry about ongoing interest payments or risk of default um i i love that um and it it just made me think like you know Elizabeth Warren has been out here, like, putting out proposal after proposal after proposal. Um, she uh, tweeted something about, like, diversity in tech recently. And Kimberly Bryant, who is the CEO of um, Black Girls Cold, tweeted something that I really love. She was like, oh, snap. Elizabeth Warren is coming for Silicon Valley and the lack of diversity in tech. First, who have her folks been talking to? Secondly, she so far outpaces the pack on the most deeply rooted issues. Lastly, she has gotten my attention. So yeah, that made me think like, why isn't like she at the top of the pack? Like I just feel like she's, you know, saying a lot of things that progressives, you know, have been asking candidates to say and offering proposals for them, but we're not really paying attention to her like biden and sanders still are in the lead um in polling so what are your thoughts
1: i mean i think you answered your own question by listing who's in the lead and those are (laughs) two very old white men who we seem to trust with this country even with all they've done to it um but so i do think she's up against sexism racism strong in this country but patriarchy existed before race was a thing yeah right like you read before blackness existed before whiteness existed man and woman existed and so i think that she has a tough uh a tough hill to climb with that similarly to what happened with hillary i mean i think she's like talking about she seems to be talking about things that are important to communities outside of her without pandering right, right. like had, i don't know if this is true but has she been on the breakfast club
4: she did go on the breakfast club did she
1: club. Yeah. i have to watch that cuz yeah. to me that's always like the time when you realize like who's coming in there with hot sauce in their bag and yeah. who's coming in really trying to talk about issues it
4: wasn't great for her like she um apparently and i i saw like a preview of it where she was telling viewers, like what she or listeners, what she came there to talk about. And she ended up, because it's Charlemagne, ended mm-hmm. up talking about her, that Native American shit. And, and see, <laughs>
1: I wouldn't go on there. Well,
4: that's what I was listening to Keep It recently, and they were like, why, girl, why would you? Even? Yeah, don't go on yeah. there.
1: This is not yeah. what you need. And like, see, and that almost, if, if you were to say no, I would have more appreciated, because that feels like the panderers move to me.
4: Yeah. I don't know. It depends on what, like, but the Breakfast Club is a platform, right? A lot of black folks listen to Breakfast Club. So, I, it's to me, it's not inherently pandering if you go on there. It's pandering if you bring a bottle of hot sauce and start talking about, you know, how you smoke weed listening to Snoop. I was you know, going to say, like, like yeah, even Kamala's
1: black ass went right. on there
4: and pandered. <laughs> but I don't think she did that. I think she got Charlemagne, you know, and ended up talking about Rachel Dolezal,
1: and then we had a couple business ones, and I think I want to keep mine last because it has so much to do with our guest today, who I'm so excited about. Yeah. So what was yours?
4: So Maven is a um, a site where basically they make it easy for hair, um, uh, people who sell hair extensions to reach customers. So you get like a website and-, um, and Is like-
1: it black owned?
4: Yes, so oh, Maven know, is owned know. by um, Deshawn Imran. Um, he um, he founded it a while ago. I want to say like early to mid two thousands. Uh, sorry, early to mid twenty tens. And so typically, um, the the old business model was that you would, you know. Uh, someone would would sign up and they um you know could get their own like website you know say you were a stylist you could you know sell different kinds of hair to folks you could, you can you know basically have if you have all this inventory in your store like you don't have to just depend on um you know your regular clients to mm-hmm. to sell to sell cool. your hair um yeah for sure and he's gotten actually a lot of funding um but I saw that he recently launched a new business model where, like, they will like if you buy hair from Maven, they will actually pay for you to get your hair done.
1: Why? Uh,
4: (laughs) 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 Because it basically incentivizes. I mean, they're doing yeah for you to buy their product, and I guess so. Do
1: they have like Maven trained stylists that you have to go to to get those bundles put in?
4: Um. Yes. Yeah, so I actually um when I saw this news I I was reminded that I actually uh, spoke with Deshaun about this like months ago. Oh. Huh. Um and he had he was like still I didn't write about it because he was still kind of percolating on this idea. Um, I percolate. <laughs> um but yeah, so they have like affiliate um or, or a partner hairstylist, like say so say you're you know, you're in Best Eye, they would If you bought from Maven, they would then tell you who in your area was a Maven partner.
1: Which you Um. know is very Madam C.J. Walker. When you read Mm -hmm. about what she did, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: she
1: like... Had the straightening tool, but then she also trained Madam C.J. Walker certified, and um, so it's like you bought the tool, and then she would also be like, "Oh, and your next door neighbor is a certified Madam C.J. Walker," so she was getting money on both ends—the oh, product and all righty. Yeah, see you. he's really taking the ancestors yeah. business model.
4: And I, I apologize—I pronounced his name wrong. It's not um, his last name is not Imran; it's Amira uh, Deshaun Amira Okay. Um, So, yeah, I I just thought this was really cool. I also thought it was interesting. Like, I looked at some of his um, investors, um, and they include Serena Williams, Steve Stout, and Richelieu Dennis from Shea Moisture. Oh. I just love, like, you know... I love when, like, uh, like black money... Mm-hmm. I love that black money is, like, kind of starting to coalesce around these, like, very black experiences. 100%. Like, oh, we know that's the problem in our community. Yep. Or, we, or we want, like, hairstylists to be able to, like, get more, you know, uh, money for their work and inventory. Um,
1: and you, and yeah. the, I love it, too, because then you can see what happens when the cycle is, like, internal, right? It's like, our money, our, we're the founders, we're trying to... Address a black issue, mm-hmm. and then black stylists, and then black culture, and mm-hmm. then black creating yep. black money. Like yep. we could just all like circle inside of ourselves, and we never need non-blacks. Yep. It's
4: ecosystem building. <laughs> You're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Moving
2: on.
1: Uh, um, so my thing is, the Washington Post did a really cool article this week on a travel company called black and abroad and it was started by eric martin and kent johnson Uh, four years ago they started it as just an online travel and lifestyle platform for african americans and they really wanted to recast the very racist go back to africa that we've often heard Mm. racist white people say to black people even though many of us have never been to the continent because you guys brought us here in the first (laughs) place but and so um they started out as just a consumer driven platform that would let people go on black travelers go on and say like I went to China. This is what happened to me here. Basically mm. like a Yelp for black travel, which mm. is awesome. And like I love that. they really wanted to promote places that were notoriously openly racist like Madrid and Barcelona and Russia and, you know, most of the most of the world, yeah. but um and show black travelers there, right? Yeah. And be able to give us the confidence that like they went there, came back in one piece. We should go there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recently they started to organize several trips a year to the continent of Africa and basically want to do like a birthright that Jewish people are able to do, but wow. for African Americans.
4: I love this. Yes,
1: it's very cool. And you black know, and research has shown that black. Consumers spend $63 billion on travel. Mm-hmm. Like, we're out here traveling. And
4: businesses have sprung up just based on that trend alone. Like, Travel Noir. Mm-hmm. And what's the other one? No Madness. No Madness, yeah. yep.
1: And um, even Parlor, mm-hmm. which you know, we both know the founder of that. Mm-hmm. It's just like a magazine fully around black travel. Like, yep. this is something that we're out here doing. Um and they even went so far to, I mentioned Madrid, and I haven't been to Madrid, but I went to Barcelona, and they are very anti-black there. Mm. Um not Madrid. Very. Yes, very. Like, we walked in, it was me and two black friends, we walked into restaurants, and they just, like, ignored us. They didn't see us.
2: What? Not until
1: they knew we were Americans and we had the money. Because they have a lot of immigrants from yeah. Africa because of their closeness. Um, so, yeah, it was not great. But they they knew that madrid has had this issue and they worked directly with the tourism office in madrid and did a collaboration with them so i just think like the two of these founders are doing such big things and then i love that it's catching on that like black travel is a thing right we're going every there's nowhere we're not going
4: right and you will respect right. and treat us um you and you respect <laughs> and treat us with and
2: Yep. Yeah. Respect us.
1: Treat us. Respect us. Treat us and respect us. <laughs> I feel like we're both tired today. <laughs> yeah. Um but I feel like that's also the perfect segue into our final guest of the season. Yeah. Who I feel like we really we had some awesome guests, but this interview to yeah. set the scene. Yeah. So
4: we put our foot in Yes,
1: this. and we like did it outside of the studio which was dope. So this week, we have Damon Lawrence and Marcus Carey, who are the co-founders of Homage Hospitality. Not Homage. Right. Homage, you ha- no. Homage. Which is a boutique hotel company um, where you're basically staying in inhabitable installations. They have a hotel in New Orleans called The Moor. They're opening a hotel in Oakland called The Town. Uh, we got to interview them at... The Nomad Hotel here mm-hmm. in man in New York, mm-hmm. and it was just dope. It was like a, a cool scene. They are really cool guys. We like had a really good time, so um, I think it's perfect to talk about black travel and then go into these two who are taking the hospitality and travel scene by storm, For so sure. come back, yep. please. Okay, so today we have Damon Lawrence and Marcus Carey, who are the co-founders of homage hospitality which are boutique hotels inspired by culture um they traveled here and they're heading right back out so we're happy to have them here today thank you guys
6: oh thank you What's up,
7: thank y'all <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having us
1: of course yeah so number one we're recording in a dope hotel so it's a perfect setting <laughs> yeah. to have the two hotel connoisseurs talk to us about what goes into that business, and then also how you guys have made it your own. So I think that's where we'll kick
3: off.
7: Shayna would be more perfect if we were doing this in our own hotel. I so know, someone
3: else is right.
2: we would love it. <laughs>
1: Brooklyn Coming needs home. it. Yes. Yeah, but
7: well, I have to show some love to our friends at Nomad Hotel in New York for, for providing space for us to to have a conversation. It's awesome. you know it's an important hotel on yeah. our journey. We'll
1: have you guys back, and then we'll be in one of yours.
6: Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. perfect. Yeah, that'd be dope.
4: Well, why don't we start by y'all just telling us what Homage is and how you got started.
6: Yeah, Homage is a, a hotel company that pays homage to African-American culture through the lens of hospitality. Um, and we, we feel like as cities are changing, as gentrification is, is you know ravaging the cities that we call home, we have a real opportunity to create almost a time capsule, a cultural time capsule uh, within hotel spaces to let people know What culture existed and how can we, um, you know, move forward in the future?
7: Yeah, we make room for a specific consumer. We make room for a consumer that we think has been largely ignored in travel. We don't think that there are any travel brands that speak directly to African-Americans. So we want to do that and and, and let them know that they're welcome in our spaces. And then, of course, we we open our spaces to everybody and invite them to enjoy the beauty of black culture. Um, So that's sort of the line that we walk.
1: And I always like to hear, like, what was your first step, right? Like, you have a building now. You have a, the Moor that's in New Orleans. But, like, before all of that happened, what was the day one where you were like, you know what I'm going to do? Mm.
2: <laughs>
6: like, wh-
1: how did that start? Oh, I can
6: tell you my day one. when I'm, This is what I'm going to do. Um, I was working at, at the DuPont Hotel in D.C. And it was the first inauguration. um, And it was just lit. Like, the lobby was crazy. Every you know
1: by the way I love that first inauguration I mean of Obama is yeah. what you mean but like but just,
6: just like president and yeah. general Shayna Shayna I was going to cut him I off and
7: tell you that he every time he tells a story he says, says the first inauguration right there was no president yeah.
1: before or after because you already after. know you I, know. Already I know. mean I obviously we knew what we you were talking know. about but this this I is the language that we it. speak yeah i don't yeah. Don't ever say because it's like duh who else would I be talking about First
6: inauguration matter none of them matter until that one right Uncle Barry I never cared about none of them <laughs> <laughs> didn't care about them. no inauguration. Yes,
1: well, go ahead.
6: So yeah, the first inauguration, and we had a it was a who's who of celebrities in the lobby, and the owner uh, Jason Pomeranz he was just the coolest dude. You couldn't tell him anything. He owned the space. He had all these people from Leonardo DiCaprio to Tobey Maguire to Seal and Heidi Klum and Diddy is there, and all these people are in the lobby, and he knows all of them. Right, And he's just running the show. And I'm like, dang, this is dope. Culture's all here. But the dude who's running the show doesn't look like me. And he doesn't look like who's occupying this room. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I said, I want to do this. Like, I need to be where he's at.
1: You were at the front desk.
6: I was at the front desk. I was at the front desk. And I I worked 24 hours that day. I came in early in the morning. Because of the train situation, I couldn't leave until the next morning. It was a crazy day. Uh, but it was one of the most impactful days, uh, of my career. Yeah. Look, you know, for me, I'll, I'll tell my story
7: in two parts. You know, one is when the seed got planted, seed got planted when I'm roughly 11 or 12 years old, a, a cousin, um, shout out to Justin, hmm. uh, a cousin has a birthday party. And back then, you know, we're in Detroit. Uh, you know, one good birthday party idea is just to get a hotel room and invite you friends over watch movies all night have a sleepover so that's what that's what he did and and I go with uh you know my my father takes me to to the hotel and I walk into this Hyatt Regency that is it's just massive. It's seven hundred and seventy rooms. I've since learned what it is. Like at the time I had no idea what right. the room count it was. was. Yeah, it was just huge, but yeah. seven hundred and seventy rooms. It's got a monorail that connects it to the mall. It's across the street from Ford's global headquarters. So that's sort of the idea behind this hotel. And I walked into the lobby as a young as a young kid and was just like, Yo, what this thing here in Dearborn, Michigan doesn't exist in Detroit, Michigan. Why haven't I seen one of these closer to where I am? Mm. That's where the seed got planted, and, and then it's just sort of this winding road to meeting, meeting Damon when I did and, and coming on board, but I'll tell you that I made the decision to bet my life on this when he sent me the first his first ever sort of concept deck. After we started to work together, we realized we had to put together different materials, and he wanted to go and sit by himself and get something done as a creative and then deliver it to me, and I, I will never in my life forget the moment when I opened the email that he sent me to say, Marcus, let me know you got any comments. I opened it I opened the document and I just knew he knew what he was doing. You know, it, it j it was beautiful and it just translated very well what the vision that we have been talking about was. It just translated on paper in a great way ever since he keeps wowing me with, with materials. So uh that's when I knew like, okay, yeah, I can at the time I was kinda talking to recruiters, he doesn't know this, but I <laughs> I was thinking just in about case. where I get the next check from and and at that point it was like, No, I'm 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 on this journey forever.
4: So I'm really interested in uh, the different kind of entrepreneurship that goes into running a hotel business, right? Because you're not developing an app. Like, you're not, you know, renting out an office, you know, <laughs> to, like, staff the office with cubicles. Like, you actually had to, you know, find property, invest in the property, remodel the property, think about zoning and... um and neighborhoods and contracts and leases and say
7: it again for <laughs> the people in the back JJ it's-
4: So <laughs> how how
0: new episodes available now subscribe to the perfect scam podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts
3: as things change other things stay the same like ohio lottery scratch-offs from small tickets to big tickets from bright colors to flashy themes there's something for everyone big wins make big stories but it's the millions of small wins every day that make life-changing memories And your biggest win will come by following the state-recommended safety protocols during this special holiday season. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly.
6: And, like, how are you handling it? Yeah, hotels are just a really uh, archaic business model, you know, (laughs) especially compared to all the tech business models that that exist today, uh, the new age. And it's very labor-intensive and capital-intensive, right? So, the conversations that we need to have we can't go out and raise a million dollars and then go sit in the office at our computers and and make magic happen um we actually have to find find properties source them get these things built developed so we have to put on developer hats we got to put on you know i don't know designer hats Yeah, designer hats we gotta we have to wear multiple hats at the same time so it's it's different. It's unique. It, but we also are in a lane by ourselves, too. So that's exciting as well.
1: So you guys went to Howard, right? But you didn't know each other there. You met at a day party.
6: Dang, you yeah. didn't get
1: researched. <laughs> oh, no way. I have some facts. I have some facts. Um, so I would like to hear about this. Oh, and I also read that you used to like pitch. Your Uber and Lyft riders. So, like, I feel like that's like a guerrilla style of networking that we don't hear much, right? We're all on social media hashtagging. And so, like, I would love for you to talk a little bit about kind of the necessity of that and how that's led you to where you guys are today, both with each other and then with the company.
7: Shannon, can I just point out that it's so ridiculous for us as Uber drivers and Lyft drivers when we did that. Uh, people would get in the car and they would say, yeah, hey, what do you do? Is this the only thing you do? And for me to respond that I'm open in a hotel, yeah. they never, it, it very rarely did they extend credibility to me right. on, on that kind of statement. Um, sometimes they did. Those were great, great, great writers. But a lot of times it was just tough to be in that position and make statements like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're, I'm, I mean, we're blessed to be here today, but that was, that was a tough time when, when I was going through that. David's got good stories about some of the people that got in his car, though.
6: Yeah, because I made it a point. Yeah, I made it a point to talk to everybody. I didn't, and I didn't care if they believed me or not, because I believed myself. So I would, when they would get in, they would ask that same question. I was very candid about, look, this is what I'm gonna do, and here's my card. I kept my cards in the eyeglass uh, holder in the car, Mm -hmm. and then would hand them out to everybody that was interested. Stay Um, ready. Yeah, and I think the most fruitful of all those uh, interactions was the. the head of marketing for Lyft actually got in my Lyft. Probably a month and a half really? later, we're in Lyft offices. That's talking nuts. to Yeah, talking to the co founder of Lyft about wow. our, our effort. And he's we're still connected to him. Um so yeah, just using you know the platform that we have at the time, which is our cars, uh, and using that to our our, our advantage. I mean, that's just the entrepreneurial way. You know? Right. Yeah, it was. And it's a little
7: bit of a divine intervention. Right. Like here I am, a former finance guy trying to help this guy open a hotel and to make ends meet. You know, I'm, you know, sort of pulling my hair out after a few months, full time entrepreneurship, trying to make ends meet. And Damon says, hey, you know, you know, you could like rent a car and drive for Uber. And, you know, I was kind of anti the idea at first. And then ultimately I gave in and I did it for six months. And that was, like, a divine way for me with no hospitality background to
2: to to get
7: familiar.
2: Yeah.
7: I had to get very familiar with hospitality in a way that I didn't expect uh, I would need to. And and so that was huge. I mean, now if you come to San Francisco and you're looking for a place to eat or a place to hang out, like, I know all the spots because I drove all around that city and dropped people off at places.
1: Right.
6: Um, so that's all hospitality. Yeah, you were
1: like picking it up along the way.
6: Along the way, you you learn things about cities driving that you would never learn otherwise. Because mm-hmm. there's certain places in the city you will never go. You right. have no reason to. Right. Yeah. So it was dope. We learned a lot. Yeah. So uh, can you describe the more for us? Um,
4: so if I'm a if I'm a uh, traveler, I'm coming to visit New Orleans. Like what what do I uh, what can I expect from my stay? And, and what-
1: how often will people say, hey, baby? Because <laughs> that's like a necessity. That's right. Right. That is right.
6: <laughs> you know, what's interesting about New Orleans is for it to be such a black city, there aren't too many spaces specifically for black people. Um, and hospitality runs that city and so black people really run that city. What makes New Orleans what, is what it is is the black culture that you know reverberates through um you know all the spaces right all the spaces are ran and operated by us but not owned by us and we wanted a space that was owned by by our people that paid homage to just what we represent as a whole and for us as it being with it being our first property we had to have a big splash right and it couldn't even be that niche to to only pay homage to New Orleans, we needed to say like, "Nah, this is we are for us," and so the Moor represents that. Pays homage to North African culture and the Moorish people, and we utilized the the facade of the building, which is it's like a, has a Spanish stucco Mediterranean feel, and we just incorporated that into the actual design of the space. Um, so it feels it feels very cohesive when you walk in the door, but then like all those. You know, New Orleans style buildings that has like the the ornate wood carved um, stairwell that goes up and uh, it just has those unique New Orleans style features that you love and appreciate. Uh, Louis Armstrong, uh, his music is going to welcome you into your room. You know, the amenities that we use were very intentional about Shea Moisture being in the room and you not, not every room yeah, works so not ashy <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I
1: read in your the vibe article about you guys like talking about that. oh no, it was somewhere else i literally I've been stalking you for two days, but somewhere else where you talked about the lotion in the rooms, and I'm like, thank you. The lotion in hotel rooms is water in a in a basket, and so it's yeah. like awesome yeah. to have somebody paying attention to those little Things because that matters,
7: yeah, 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 you know we think uh so much of New Orleans is like trying to push consumers towards energy and drinking and bourbon and like that whole thing so the more just is the complete opposite of that we you know our guests are encouraged to relax and you know think about the place that they stay as as a as a representation of their own homes and you know still go out and have fun and enjoy new orleans but when you're here you know you get to completely reset
1: all right now i want to get to the real stuff (laughs) all that. <laughs> oh, now it's time. You can like unbutton those top buttons. <laughs> We're with your buds now. Um, so obviously this is not a very black space, right? Hospitality in general. Like you said, like we travel and we stay in hotels, but as far as ownership, that is not where we are. So I wanted to hear about some of the things that you've come across trying to present this idea to probably – Not all black rooms. Right. Doing something that is centered around and not even I feel like sometimes when we talk about African culture, it's one thing. But when you put the African-American on it, it takes it to a whole different idea. Right. Especially in America. And so I know y'all got stories.
7: Yeah, I I got one specific one in my head. I got you know, we were sitting at dinner with an investor, a guy that ultimately, uh, you know, crossed the finish line, wrote a check. Uh, so we we like we like him, right? Uh, but but you know, <laughs> who was <it? laughs> But but look, but but prior to him writing the check, you know, he was trying to get comfortable, trying to who was
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, JJ will journalize you.
7: Well, once you get once I tell the story, right. you know, uh So so yeah, but, you know, before he wrote the check, he was trying to get comfortable, and we were talking through what the more would look like and how we would program it, and 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 des- design it. And he looked at Damon and I at dinner. And asked us whether or not there would be chains on the wall. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Why? Because that's our history.
7: Oh. That's slaves. It. Yeah.
1: Get out of here. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you took the money, but like, oh so,
7: yeah, we had to educate them, so we took yeah. that. We took that opportunity right there to just make it very clear that this wasn't about playing up slavery. Look how
4: damaged looking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're like oh now yeah, i,
6: I remember. he owed us a check for reparations like, 100 you you it. It. like
1: if white guilt makes you sign it yeah, do it like do but, it I that's such
7: a that. that's been such a challenge on this journey you know yes. it's just like when we got to talk to capital you know we got to talk to people that don't look like us right and we're talking about something that is for you know for by us you know right and it and for me i was able to i was able to uh rationalize that make myself comfortable with that get through that and i had to like i had to pull my co founder along. I had to make him more and more comfortable with the idea that we gotta to talk to people from somewhere else.
2: Right. And, I hear
7: and he's I shaking hear his head you. right now. So you know it's it's been a, it's been a journey.
1: Do your investors worry that white people won't feel included?
6: Yes, they had. That was a serious a thing. Is it, is, is it black only? Right. Yeah. that was yeah. the thing. That's such a bizarre concern
7: for people. I really don't even understand where it comes from. Like, are you not smart enough to understand that if we let the space be inspired by black culture, that that's just a thing? Like, it just it just is a thing. It's still space. Like what? You know, but that really that's frustrates me.
1: Because think about if as black people, we only bought things that were marketed towards us. We would never eat. We would never live, drive, do nothing. Because nothing
6: is marketed towards us unless you're watching Soul Train and the McDonald's commercials. (laughs) Then, and the you know the yeah exactly (laughs)
7: African American consumers are spending seventy billion annually on travel. Mm. That's air, that's hotel, that's everything. They're spending seventy billion. They spend a third of that on hotel. Not one travel brand is
4: talking to them. One. Have you guys heard of the gathering of spot course. in Atlanta? Of course, yeah, Ryan's a good friend
7: of ours, yeah. Yep. So um, I
4: right. I interviewed him recently and he was telling me about how it frustrates him that people describe the gathering spot as like, you know, they ask him, Well, am I am I welcome because no. I'm white?
1: No, that's not what he said. If you gotta Just ask, if you gotta ask, you show up. You yeah. show up to literally everything else.
4: But, but his point was similar it's like, why do you automatically assume because I'm creating a black space that white people are not welcome when we have to patronize like your spaces that are purely white spaces? But that's so. the
1: difference between black power and white power, it's like white power is. Does mean
4: don't come in here. Yeah. Whereas yeah.
1: Black Power never meant that.
4: Right, that's what he said. He said, right. that's not what I'm creating here. Now, right. if you wanna come in here and celebrate the culture, then sure, come on, mm-hmm. you know? But it sounds very similar to.
7: Yeah, yeah. I mean, y'all celebrate the culture anywhere else.
6: I mean, so, yeah, like, okay. man, Irish pubs and, like, know. you know, there's all these other types of businesses across many different uh, industries that pay homage to a certain culture. And it doesn't stop me from listening to the mariachi band as I'm getting my burrito. Not exactly. the mariachi yes.
1: right. I'm serious. Right. Right. And it right. doesn't stop any of them from doing yoga.
6: I had this young lady, who I will not name, mention, she said to me, like, don't you feel like you're alienating other people? And the day that she said that, she was throwing a luau party <laughs> for her daughter. And they're not Hawaiian, okay? Duh. Hijacking the culture, and I'm like, yeah, but you're having a luau party. You—that's not the same. No, not really. Because I'm like, all right, we can't even talk. I can't (laughs) talk to you. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Yeah. But we get that all the time, and the only way we can we can deflect that is to create dope spaces.
7: That's the only thing we can do. We create them, program them very well, market them very well. People will show up. They will be, if you ask me, and I'm obviously biased. They will be the coolest mm-hmm. properties in every city that we ever go to. Mm. You pick your favorite city, pick your favorite property, will be cooler. Okay, <laughs> you know what I mean. You heard First. that?
4: Can you First. can you say can you say how many guests you have like per year, or you know what what your uh, your foot track was like in the more.
6: Yeah, the more we... It's only a four unit, so it's kind of skewed. When we when we launched, we booked up the whole second half of the year within the first three days. Wow. wow. And when so did our, you launch? Uh, July 1st. So right before Essence Fest. Uh, it was perfect timing for us. We did not plan that, but it worked out. Um, and then after J- January 1st, we then put our rooms up on Airbnb. And um, we're doing really well too, still. Uh I just think right now, we're probably running about 70% occupancy. I think what's tough for us is the midweek. The weekends are always mm-hmm. super busy. Like, don't ask me for a room on a weekend.
4: I'm also curious about um, your Oakland property called The Town, right? So, <laughs> Damon's dancing. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so um, you mentioned earlier that you started in Oakland, right? Uh, so, how did you end up opening the Moor before The Town?
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so you know, we're in Oakland and we're talking to people about the concept and we're raising money for this building in downtown Oakland and we finally find this, you know, a guy that wants to buy the whole thing and he wants to partner with us on it. Um and so we agree to do it. He's gonna fund the whole thing. It's a white guy, he's a billionaire, he's got a bunch of money. He buys it. Who is it? Uh <laughs>
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolf. yeah, yeah. so the guys that, Wolf, he used to own the, own the A's, I'm gonna just go ahead.
7: Yeah, yeah, the guy's name is, is Lou Wolf, uh, former owner of Oakland A's, and so we we pitched him, partnered with him, um, and signed a deal to basically be the team that you know programs and designs it and and brands it while he funds it, um, and then the building that we expected to do it got tied up in you know regulation stuff and city stuff stuff just got tied up and we couldn't get going as quickly as we wanted to. So a lot of the people that we were talking to about capital before we met Lou, we went back to those people and said, hey, we no longer need your money for that building because Lou bought it. How about you give some of that money to us and let us stand ourselves up, feed ourselves, buy groceries for ourselves? And, and some of those people agree. So raise a little bit of seed money and around the time that we raised it, his mother is like on a going down a rabbit hole on Zillow, like looking at affordable markets like New Orleans and whether or not there was there was good property options to, mm-hmm. to make purchases. And she finds a building for like four hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, we, we bought it and then we made it the more. Um, wow. and, and so uh, that's sort of how that's sort of how it came together. It's affordable market. It's a tourism market. And, you know, it wasn't quite by design, but we launched our company. And maybe the blackest city in the country, you know, like historically speaking, the blackest city in the country. That's where we launched. But Oakland is Oakland is coming. You know, Oakland. We we've since sort of stepped away from the Lou Wolf deal and we found a different property. And you know, we, we lit. it's lit next it's summer. Crazy. next summer, Lake so next Lake summer, Merritt. Summer twenty twenty. Summer twenty twenty. Homage Oakland, Lake Merritt. So um,
4: y'all y'all say homage. Yeah, we say yeah, yeah we
7: say
6: homage.
2: Okay. <laughs> More <laughs> homage. Right, we were just talking
1: about it in the elevator. I was like, I say homage. Is that
6: weird? <laughs> as long as you know how to, to type it right, that's, that's yeah, all that we, just, we just want yeah. you to spell it the same. Mm-hmm. We don't, we
7: don't care how you know. It all, it all mean the same thing.
1: So partnership is tough. I understand. I love this one, but it is like I feel like working on something with someone that you also have a friendship with comes with its own. Things you don't have to shake your head that hard. And so, how do you guys manage your working relationships? And what advice do you have for other duos who like have an idea, have a spark, and want to go into it together?
7: Anytime I get the question, I always say it's energy first. I don't care about (laughs) skill sets or anything else. If you think about getting a co-founder, think about working with other people. Think about the energy that the other person has and whether, you know, if it matches and I don't really know how to describe that. I'm sure, you know, people might hear that and not really know what it means, but it just, you can just kind of feel it. And, you know, me and this guy been running together for three years and ample times on the journey. If I'm feeling low, he's pulling me up, Mm. he's feeling up. He's feeling low. I'm pulling him up. Um, That's a, that's an energy thing. And so when we're in the middle of our disagreements of which we've had many, we remember that like, nah, we, you know, we got each other's back in the more, in the most important way, which is our mental health and you know, um, you know our our ability to feel safe and our ability to feel like we're on the right path. We got each other's back in that context. So some little business disagreement, like we'll get through it. Um, but yeah, yeah, we got a we got a lot of, we've learned a lot about each other in partnership in three years.
6: Yeah, and when you're working when there's two talented people and your talents don't clash, um, it's really about working on the trust. Right, so working to trust each other, and then I I know early on in our relationship it was like we both felt like we had to cross over into the other person's lane because it was like I don't really trust you got the whole thing figured out <laughs> so let me cross over and then you just learn to stay in your lane like Dave, I need to stay in my lane and Marcus stays in his lane and every once in a while we we collaborate on things that we feel like we we need to collaborate on. How would but, you describe your lanes? Uh, I'm more creative in operations um
7: yeah i'm more like capital and strategy stuff yeah
6: yeah. and those are two very different ways of thinking right Mm -hmm. and just being able to trust somebody else on the journey to have the other person to just say like oh yeah you got that cool i don't (laughs) don't have to even waste no brain energy on that
1: (laughs) i think we have to let you guys go soon although this has been so fun um we always like to ask our entrepreneurs for like either one piece of advice that you wish you would have had One thing you've picked up along the way, like for the person that's listening that has been sitting on an idea, what do you have for them? Mm. You can take some time to think.
7: I have two things, but they're intertwined. Uh. Uh, patience is is super key on the journey. Uh, you're going to be taking meetings and talking to people about your vision and people are going to be excited about what you're doing. And, uh, whatever your ask is of the, of the, of that meeting or of that person, the time between when you make the ask and when they make a decision on the ask could be, there could be time there. And so you, one, you want to fill the funnel with more of those. Uh, so that you're not quite putting all your eggs in one basket, but then two, you have got to step away from the work and go build patience and focus on other parts of your life. Your body is still a thing. Get in the gym. I I can't tell you how many times I've burned two hours of time. (laughs) Uh I burned a couple hours.
1: I'm just, you seem, watch your mouth. Okay. It's
7: just such a, it's just such a good thing on the entrepreneur journey to go burn two hours on a Wednesday afternoon when literally nothing is going on in your email. No, like they're not. Two
4: hours. Rep- we see you, Marcus.
7: They're not replying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I appreciate say, he
4: do look a little right. more buff right. since the last time. We see time you, I Marcus. That, I
7: appreciate You saying that? And I really appreciate <laughs> this not a video podcast, because I think you're lying.
4: So,
6: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, it's, it's my turn. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's two. Yeah, there's two things. Number one, the best meetings are sometimes not the ones who write the check, right? So the people that are sitting there vibing with you, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those aren't the check writers. It's the ones that challenge you and leave you thinking, like, dang, did I did it go right? You know, have you feeling insecure? Those are the people that really vetted you and asked you the hard questions to get to understand if they feel comfortable enough to write the check. That's that was important for us to learn because we would sit pe- with people and be vibing with them, like, oh yeah, they get it. And then they just like go cold. I'm like, hey, I thought we was, I thought it was lit. <laughs> I thought we was on to something, you know? And it just didn't work out like that like that. And I think the second thing is you're going to get so many no's before you get a yes, mm. you know, and you just have to be, you know, resilient enough to keep knocking on those doors, even though people are going to tell you no to your face via email or however, but then the yeses make it worth it. Yeah. Right. I mean, resilient enough and confident
7: enough. Right, like your resilience is one thing. Your Resilience makes sure you shows up, you show up to the next meeting. But do you what kind of what kind of vibe are you talking with in the meeting? You got to keep your confidence up because everybody's sniffing for confidence. Mm-hmm. And we've had to learn that. I mean, I've had, we've had times where I'm like, man, it just I don't know the momentum ain't there, like just,
2: especially
4: in this industry. Like, come on, like you because you're competing with like people who've been in the game for like decades. Yeah, they, like, and they and
7: generational money. Mm-hmm. The seed money in the hotel business comes from, like, dad and granddad. Mm-hmm. Like, that's who people go to. when they and ideas. White dad and granddad.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: You know, suffice it to say, I cannot go to Pops about
4: this.
2: <laughs>
7: <laughs> I love you, Kevin, but I can't go to him. So, um, so yeah. Cool.
4: Well, thank you, guys. This yeah, has been really
5: great. This
1: has been good. Where can people – I mean, we'll put all your links in the show notes and stuff. But um, you guys have an Instagram, yeah
7: yeah 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 uh, uh, stay homage so uh, like pay homage stay homage at stay homage uh, we're on the internet stay homage dot com uh, and, and my personal is just Uh so like Mariah Carey you know so if you want to follow my personal
3: I'm not against I, I'm
7: not against the
6: idea people follow me personally you know what I, mean? I think it's a good idea uh, Yeah, my personal so everybody knows it's hospitality you know what I'm saying H-A-U-S pitality. <laughs>
1: awesome yeah. alright thank you guys
7: thank y'all so much Peace. appreciate you Thank
1: you. well go off Marcus <laughs> I love whatever like you could tell when we get to the heat of the black shit mm-hmm. where everyone's just like and then this <laughs> you thought there was gonna be slave chains on the wall and like that, you know me, I perked the hell up when that happened because that's what I want to be talking about. I know you did.
4: That's that's like your sweet spot.
1: Yes, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Oh, discrimination.
1: Yes, let's talk about it. I just loved every part of it.
4: They're really nice. Yeah,
1: that was really cool. All right, are you ready to get into (laughs) L-L-C?
4: Are you announcing WWF? Like, what's happening?
1: Now today in LLC, so learned so this week i read an article um about limb difference which was there was a the girl in the article was born with i think from her right below her elbow down to her hand she wasn't born with that mm. and she talked a lot about being an advocate for people with limb differences and i never heard that phrase before i had already i had always heard like amputee or you know and so i just love the idea of us talking about these things not as a lack of ability as differences right and so um she was talking about you know teaching children with limb differences how to tie their shoes if they only have one hand Mm. and just those kind of things and how she wouldn't change she wouldn't be born with a hand even if she had the option and i just think that makes us look at Differently abled people differently, mm-hmm. right? Of like, I don't even like to use the term disabled because I do think that makes it like you're lacking something that I have, mm. but you're differently abled because you can do some things I can't.
4: Exactly, right? Like, and also you do things that I can do differently, right? You know, right? I, I think it's more. Inc- I like it because it's inclusive,
2: right? Yeah.
1: And I like. uh I took a sign language class for a while, and one of my teachers was born uh, with completely no hearing, and. He was like, I don't see this as a disability because, like, you guys have to listen to sirens, <laughs> right? And He's in like, New York, that's real. He, yeah, he goes, I sleep real well, and so it's just like maybe you're at the disability because mm-hmm. you have to listen to that those kind of things that I don't, and um, so yeah, that just changed my perspective. So I just like this idea of limb difference instead of saying like. They're missing an arm or they're missing a hand,
2: Project, it's th- right? Or, that know. their
1: limbs are different. Yeah. Uh, so that was my learned. I love like that.
2: that.
1: And then my loved this week, which has a very light cancel, but more love than cancel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Billy Porter this week.
4: Where did you meet him?
1: So my really really close friend was in town, and she's very fancy, and she is a member of Soho House, and um, so I went to meet her on Thursday at Soho fancy. House. Very fancy. And we just were sitting there, like, eating, like, appetizers on the rooftop. And I had seen Billy Porter on the street earlier, across the street from her hotel. But I thought he had, like, gotten into a car. And, you know, like, we see celebrities all the time. So I was just like, hey, Billy Porter's outside. So then we go to Soho House, and Billy Porter's in there. And so my friend is like, I I never talk to celebrities, which is something I, like, need to push myself to do. At least to just, like, say hi. But she was like, we're going to say hi. So, Billy Porter went to Carnegie Mellon and is from Pittsburgh.
4: Hmm. Okay, alumni.
1: Yeah. so she And so, she went to Carnegie Mellon, too. And she was like, if nothing else, we're talking to him because he went to the same school that we went to. Yeah. And uh, we talked about, like, growing up in Pittsburgh and all the changes that have happened there. And this is where my light cancel comes in, but also my reminder that we are varied people, mm-hmm. right? And I can't just love Billy Porter for the character of Billy Porter, um, and so we talked about gentrification and he was saying that – because he grew up in East Liberty, which is – they call it Shady East now. It's like not even the same city at all. Hmm. And he's saying, you know, but I – he's like everyone wants to squawk about gentrification, but what did we want it to do? Stay the slumps? Which I – or what is that word? The slums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which like I get. East Liberty was really tough and – like, all the businesses were closing, and now it's like a flourishing community, but for who?
4: Right. Who's flourishing?
1: Right. I mean, not us. We've are, been displaced Are there already. black
4: business owners there?
1: Uh, no. Mm. There's Warby Parker there. Mm. There's a Sweetgreen. Right. There's a Target. So when he said that, I cringed, but he's a full person. Mm-hmm. And so- the The parts of Billy who are singing in the audience during the Tonys and the parts of Billy who are looking fabulous on red on red carpets, I love that, and I loved the Billy that was complimenting my leopard print. But I also need to love the Billy, but then also hold him accountable in my mind mm-hmm. for some of these, you know, differing opinions. Um and then this week, he also went on the view and said something that I felt was so important. Uh, you know, he wears dresses a lot and he wears clothing that is deemed as feminine. And he said, you know, women are able to wear pants and we see that as a sign of strength. But when men wear dresses, we're weak. And that tells you what we think about women. Mm. And he's like, yeah, that's misogyny is what is fueling you being, you having an issue with a man wearing a dress. And so I'm really happy that he Deep. that he brought out the women the woman aspect of it cuz you know how i feel about drag race sometimes and like how i feel like w- women are completely erased from the story and i appreciated that he recognized that dresses are socially deemed to be connected to women and that the problem with men wearing them is a problem with how we think about women Mm. so i really appreciated him speaking up about that and making it a bigger issue than masculinity and making it a gendered issue of like also why do you hate women so much that this dress makes you uncomfortable or you think i'm weak because i'm wearing it um and then we i had like a heavy cancel and you had this cancel too so we should probably do our first Joint cancel. Dun, dun, dun. Joint
4: cancel. <laughs> um, so we are joint canceling this article by CNN. <laughs> the headline is What It's Like to Be a White Woman Named Lakeisha. I can we just pause there. What could go wrong?
1: Everything. <laughs> Everything.
4: <sighs> John Blake at CNN. Yeah, what happened, John? What were you thinking? And John's black, y'all hmm so john goes on in this story to profile this quote-unquote white blonde-haired blue-eyed woman named lakeisha whose life can get complicated strangers burst out laughing when you tell them your name puzzled white people ask your parents what were they thinking black people wonder if you're trying to play a, a bad joke
1: boo it can be exhausting
4: constantly explaining yourself to white
1: people. yeah imagine being a black person LaKeisha. <laughs> if you're tired imagine how tired we must be
4: those were his words by the way that this black writer wrote empathizing with this white woman named lakeisha
1: and you know what i hate is like this he could have used this white woman entryway to talk about the real problem
4: he could have and he does I scroll down a bit and he does uh talk about you know so he has a line here that says the white sounding applicants Uh, for this in this study were 50% more likely to get calls from job interviews um, than their black signing counterparts counterparts Um, so he does go into this but also I see at the top of this article that it was updated this morning at Mm. 5.35am so I wonder like what the article looked like in the original form
1: and also can I get an article of what it's like for a black woman named Lakeisha because that's the real story
4: yeah like why is this why do we need this so th- this, there's another section of the story that says, "What do black? Where do distinctively black names come from? Um, a name isn't just a name, according to history and social science. And giving someone the wrong name, give someone the wrong name, and it can become a burden. Oh my God, John Blake, a the wrong name, and it can become a burden. What is wrong with this guy? This man." I would just advise you to um,
1: to stop using white women as the conduit.
4: As the conduit. Find you some black protagonists.
1: Yes. Yes.
4: And go back to the drawing board when you have uh, half baked ideas like this. Mm-hmm. And also and tell
1: a story.
4: Tell also, our story. And this is very important. Find a black editor. Mm. and share it with your black friends. There are some times when I'm, like, super nervous about a story and I'll talk to you about mm-hmm. it. I'll, like, get my little tribunal together mm-hmm. and I'll be like, okay, y'all, this is what I'm nervous about. What do you think? Just because, just so I can have, like, different experiences um, at the table and that can tell me... Am, am I going to be dragged for this article? And like, how does it make me? And how does it make our people look? This was not the right. Oh, uh,
1: and that was obviously not his focus. When you do a whole story focused on a white woman and how tough her life is, because her
2: names Lakeisha. because
1: people think that her that she's black. Yuck! Do you get that? What the real story is is that being black is the toughest thing right. around. Right. And this woman has to deal with two seconds of that until they know that she's white, and then she's back to being fine. <laughs> Disgu-
4: yeah.
1: Disgusting.
4: And then um, my loved um, is Black Fathers. Aww. So So tomorrow's Father's Day.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: My father passed away in 2014, April 2014. Um, And so, just for some reason, like, this is even... Father's Day is even, like, more... It's even heavier to me than his actual birthday.
1: Yeah.
4: I guess because everybody's kind of celebrating their father. Right, it's, like, in
1: your face all day. And it's in
4: your face all day, and on social media, and in the news, and, you know, wherever. Um, And... So yeah I just I've been missing him a lot. So my boyfriend's dad is in town uh tomorrow because um Philip has a a show uh this weekend. Um and uh, other uh, family members uh came and at first he wasn't going to come, mm-hmm. but then I told Philip's mom to tell his dad that um like jokingly I miss you, you succumb, come, you mm-hmm. know, because he's it's kind of funny because he's like the stoic, like gruff, you know, kind of yeah. character, much like my dad was. And then he came.
1: Oh, that is lovely.
2: <laughs>
4: um, so I'm actually looking forward to seeing him. And, you know, Philip and I have similar relationships um with our fathers in that, you know, they were very uh his dad is very he's military, very like kind of regimented you know, not, you know, super great with expressing emotion, but thinking about him and thinking about my dad, it makes me more understanding and appreciative of Black fathers mm-hmm. because they, like, thinking about everything that Black men have had to deal with and, like, you know, not they're just... They're doing their best. They're very much so. And they are doing what they were taught and then, and then trying, and then trying to do to be better, better on top yep. of that. You yep. know, like I remember, I remember like being a kid and, you know, kind of fussing at my dad. Cause he, you know, was mean to me or something. And, and he said something like, you thought I had it better. You know? Mm-hmm. So I remember like he, I remember these times where it would kind of seep out that, you know, he, you know, didn't learn a lot. And right. that he was, um, he was trying to break out of that and, and trying to be, a better father than what he experienced when he was really young, right? Um,
1: just like self-taught,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just you know, in in light of like everything that black fa- black men have, you know, had to endure and had to um, uh, learn their way out of. Um, I had just I'm thinking about like a new empathy for uh, for black fathers yeah. and like hoping that. You know, it'll help somebody else kind of extend uh, grace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I do – you know, I'm – ai have a close relationship with my dad, but it didn't come without the same learnings of all the things that he's not mm. are – all the things that he is is because of all the things that he is not, mm. right? Like my dad – I, I shout out Herman on this episode, on, mm-hmm. on this show all the time. But, like, my dad has already been way more present than his dad was. And, like, my dad has already been way more supportive of who I am than his dad was. Mm-hmm. My dad are, already tells me he loves me 600 more times than his dad did, you know? And so it's just, like, when you start to recognize that, that, like, they're already better than what they've seen, just mm-hmm. the way that we assume we will be better parents right mm-hmm. and so yeah when you like start to see them for the human you can appreciate how much they've they've tried to do yeah,
4: yeah. cuz it's like really they're when we when we demand that they that they change so much we're asking them to leap over generations of change. Yep. Like to start at zero and like jump a light year Yep, to, like, forget
1: everything. Forget
4: everything. Yeah and like learn everything like that. Yeah. And before you die, be the perfect father. Yeah. You know
1: and perfect for what I think that I need. Not yep. even perfect for yourself, right? It's just yeah. therapy has helped with all of that. For sure. But um I love that. And yeah. I'm glad Phillips dad is coming.
4: And then just one more thing on that topic that, that I Loved. It was from a couple of weeks ago, um, but you know, it's still Pride Month, and um and continuing on this topic of Black fathers, there was a um, a post that I saw that someone posted on Facebook um, from this organization this, this organization called A Call to Men, um, and they are all about kind of redefining um, what masculinity looks like in twenty nineteen. And this guy, um, his name is Ted Bunch. He's the chief development officer at um, A Call to Men. Um, He wrote a post about being proud of his son, um, who is um, black male, now living openly um, as gay. Came out when he was 15. And the whole post is like, it was like 2,000 words. And he's basically just talking about, how he always knew like he he and his wife knew you know um that his that Jalen was gonna be gay um and how he was fearful of his safety um at first, which was how which was why he was initially kind of um worried about um Jalen coming out, but he since like embraced him openly and just you know has now written this like long story about how much he loves his son and how other black fathers should um should love on their gay sons too and um i just it it was just a touching post um so we'll put that in the show notes too um and i think that's a good note to leave on
1: that's good yeah happy father's day to all our dads out there and for those you know i always recognize that that is a tough day for a lot of people.
2: Yeah. And
1: there were years that it was tough for me because of where my relationship was with my dad. So I think just to like everybody to be very, have a lot of grace on these quote unquote holidays mm-hmm. that we don't all, you know, feel the same way about them. So yeah. take care of yourselves tomorrow.
4: Yeah. All Thank righty. you guys for listening. This Not just this season. episode, but the whole uh, season. This
1: has been a dream. It has. And we'll be back.
4: And we'll be back. Yes. Um, August, August 14th. 14th.
1: And still, like, you know, I love Instagram, so I'll still be on social doing that kind of thing, Um, you know, when topics come up. So still keep, you know, with us around. But and also our Patreon will still be up, our listener survey, everything mm-hmm. will still be there. But we'll have a brand new episode for you, August 14th, for the start of season two. Yay. Yay. All right. <laughs> love back. you guys. Bye. Bye.